Let us pray. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. Please be seated. Emily Dickinson is one of my favorite poets, and she has a poem called A Word. A word is dead when it is said, some say. I say it just begins to live that day. I agree with her. Words aren't dead. Spoken words continue to reverberate in our lives and others' lives, even after they flip out of human lips. They swim and dance and jump in our souls for days, months, and years, whether we realize it or not. Philosophers of of language know this. This is why they teach about how to do things with words. Words do things, not just announce things. Sociologists of language would say our words spin worlds into existence. The worlds that we inhabit, literary worlds, scientific worlds, theological worlds, political worlds. Through our words, worlds are created. A word is surely not dead. It's alive and can create life. This is what we see at creation in Genesis. God spoke the world into existence. God said, God said, God said, and something was created. God's word lives and enlivens. If I was a rapper, I might say God's word wasn't dead when it was said. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and all things came into being through him. Through a word, all things. Jesus wasn't called the tree of God or the toe of God but the word of God, a word spoken in the flesh who lived among us and lives among us and in us like holy bread. He's not dead. He's alive and enlivens. Words aren't dead. The tongue is a fire too, scripture tells us. Words can kill and burn you up. The old saying is, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is a bunch of baloney. Our words about and to each other matter because they do things for good or ill, and they live on in our lives. A woman once gossiped about a a friend. And the friend, of course, was naturally hurt by the untruths that were spreading about her. But eventually, the gossiping woman 
was disturbed by her own guilt, and so she went to her grandfather, who she believed to be a a very wise man, and she asked him what she could do to make things right. And he said, buy a chicken and have it killed. And then on your, your way home, pluck its feathers and drop them along the road. And when you've done this, come and see me again. The woman was somewhat perplexed by her grandfather's advice, but she followed it anyway. The next day, she returned to her grandfather, and and at that time, her grandfather then told her to go and collect all the feathers she had dropped on the road yesterday and bring them back to him. But that's impossible, she said. They have all would have blown away. Exactly, said her grandfather. It's easy to drop them, but it's impossible to get them back. It's the same with gossip. It it doesn't take much to spread a rumor, but once you do, you can never take those words back and undo the hurt. Words aren't dead. I mean, you may have had words spoken to you many years ago, and they still swirl in your mind and hearts. Touching words, such as, you're so beautiful, or disturbing words as, you'll never amount to anything. Words can inspire you or fire you up. Either way, by no means are words dead when spoken. They live inside of us, and and some of them we wish we could get rid of in a garbage disposal, but we can't shake them out even though they've shaken us up. They reside in our souls without paying rent. But despite all of this, we need words written spoken, painted, sculpted, sung. Although I would agree with someone who said, blessed is the man who having nothing to say abstains from giving wordy evidence of the fact. But we need words, especially the word of God. Words live And the word is life. It's bread. The bread of life. Food for our soul. God works through words to nourish us. Spoken words, enfleshed words. The psalmist put it this way, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The sage in Proverbs teaches, my child, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them escape you from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Words are life and healing. Even in the gospel lesson today in Matthew, Jesus touches a leper while saying, be made clean and he's cleansed. 
And then when a centurion's servant is paralyzed, the centurion tells Jesus, only speak the word and my servant will be healed. Words have power and they do things. We need words. Think about it. Without words, there's no sermon. That might be good news for some of you. Without words, no more texts or emails. Wouldn't that be great? Without words, it would be much harder to communicate with each other, though perhaps not impossible. Without words, we wouldn't have the words of Scripture, the Word of God. We confess it to be to We wouldn't be able to know more about God and hear about God and hear from God. We wouldn't even know the striking character of God in Amos 7, in which God relents or repents and decides not to destroy Jacob after Amos begs the Lord to forgive them. We wouldn't know this was a possibility for God without words. Without words, we wouldn't have prophets like Amos, who declares, thus saith the Lord. If God doesn't speak, prophets have nothing to say, and and we have nothing to say. If God doesn't speak, there's no word of the Lord, and we will not survive. I mean, this is how critical Words are, but particularly the word of the Lord. But I wonder if we take God's word for granted at times. I mean, if we never heard a word from the news media again or from an Instagram post, that wouldn't kill us. That might save our sanity and our unity. But never hearing a word from the Lord again will bury us alive because you can be walking and still have a dying soul. I mean, in God's kingdom, there's a famine worse than one of food or drink. It's a famine of the word of the Lord, and this is what exactly happens to the people of Israel. In God's judgment, God tells them, I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall run to and fro seeking the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. This is a famine we never want. It's a spiritual famine because God is silent, at least to us. It's a famine of the soul. And it's dry, and it's destructive. How did the people get here? How do we get to that place where all things or or many things seem to be flourishing in one way, but we're still experiencing a famine of the word, a famine of the soul, and, and we don't hear God anymore? We only hear the jangling echoes of our own turbulence. How did they, how do we get here? 
Perhaps we live life as if our physical material needs are the only needs. And we neglect the nurturing of our soul as if it's not a priority, which implies God is not a priority. Now, it's true that God is concerned and involved with our whole life. Emotional, mental, physical, relational, social, political, economic, and and so on, and spiritual, and on one level, all of life, in my own theological framework, all of life is spiritually organic. And so everything is a part of the spiritual life. Yet care for the soul is a piece of the spiritual life that is often forgotten or neglected. This is why it's important to think about what it means to lead from within or live from within. Take, for example, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It's interesting because when people talk about Dr. King in the wider publics, they'll call him a civil rights leader, an activist. They'll focus on his justice work, rightly so, but what's often not said or emphasized in many public discourses about him is that he saw himself fundamentally as a preacher. He self-identified as a preacher. That means his faith, his soul was vital to who he was and what he did. In, In recent years now within the academy, there's more scholarship on his prayer life and spirituality because people are realizing how his soul work was critical for his social transformation work. There couldn't be a famine of the soul and be a successful civil rights movement that actually sprouted from the church. Hearing God's voice was key for him and and one story in particular that he tells, and you might have heard this story before, makes this clear. It's January 1956. It's amid the disequilibrium of the Montgomery bus boycott, and one late night, he received a threatening phone call. And he said, I hung up, but I could not sleep. It seemed that all of my fears had come down on me at once. I had reached the saturation point. I got out of bed and began to walk the floor. Finally, I went to the kitchen and heated a pot of coffee. I was ready to give up. I tried to think of a way to move out of the picture without appearing to be a coward. In this state of exhaustion, when my courage had almost gone, I determined to take my problem to God. My head in my hands, I bowed over the kitchen table and prayed aloud. The words I spoke to God that midnight are still vivid in my memory. I am here taking a stand for what I believe is right, but now I am afraid. The people are looking to me for leadership, and if I stand before them without strength and courage, they too will falter. I am at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. I've come to the point where I can't face it alone. At that moment, he says, I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never before experienced him. It seemed as though I could hear the the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying to me, 
stand up for righteousness. Stand up for truth. God will be at your side forever. Almost at once, my fears began to pass from me. My uncertainty disappeared. I was ready to face anything. The outer situation remained the same, but God had given me inner calm. Three nights later, our home was bombed. Strangely enough, I accepted the word of the bombing calmly. My experience with God had given me new strength and trust. I knew now that God is able to give us the interior resources to face the storms and problems of life. This is an example of living from within. If he never heard that voice, what would have happened? As Henry Nouwen recounts in his book, Discernment, God speaks in various ways through books, people, nature, events. But what if we never hear God? In Amos, those who trampled on the poor and needy who had no physical bread are the ones that wind up without spiritual bread because they no longer hear the words of the Lord. So they no longer can follow the Lord in words or deeds. This spiritual famine is not the one we usually think of. I mean, we're at Duke. But its wages are the same as a physical famine of bread and water, starvation, and worse death. How do we get from a feast to famine, from flourishing to floundering, which is what happens to the people of Israel and, and can happen to us? How do we get to that place? Does it happen when we look for nourishment through other means than God? in God's word? Is it when we try to live in our own way and according to our standards? Is it when we ignore covenantal commitments made at our baptism? Is it when religious routines seem to rotten because we have no expectation of divine presence? Is it when the most vulnerable among us are mistreated? Probably all of the above. When we think life can happen apart from God, there can be a famine unlike any other we've experienced. A famine of the soul because we hear nothing from God. And without this eternal word, which is life, there is only a death sentence for our soul. This is a path none of us would choose to take because it leads to our demise. Our bodies may be well fed, and we have plenty. But our souls may be malnourished and truly empty. So how is your soul today? Is it suffering from a drought? What will it profit if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? You do know that you can have everything and still have nothing. And history shows us 
that you can hurt the body, the, the, the physical realm, and have limitations materially and still not touch the soul, which is why Sister Pollard, who was an encourager to Dr. King, said, my feet is tired, but my soul is rested. How is it with your soul? Is it well with your soul, or is your soul like a dry and thirsty land where there is no water? A young man once lost his job, and he was growing more and more desperate about his situation, and so he went to an, an old preacher whom he knew, and he poured out his heart to this man in frustration, saying, I begged and begged God to say something to help me. Why doesn't God answer? And the old preacher who was sitting across the room replied pretty quietly, and the, and the young man was unable to understand what he said. And so that young man stepped across the room, and he asked, what did you say? The preacher repeated himself in a very soft tone again, and, and the young man still didn't understand him. And so he moved even closer, leaning on that preacher's chair. And he said, sorry, I still didn't hear you. And with their heads bent toward each other, the old preacher spoke once more. And he said, God sometimes whispers so that we will move closer to hear him. Come closer to God. As Augustine says, our souls are restless until they rest in God. But I have to be honest about one thing. The people of Israel sought the word of the Lord. They did everything they knew to do and still did not find it. Which tells me that hearing God's word is an act of grace. God makes it possible while we are to make ourselves available. And it's also a reminder that even if you engage in spiritual practices rightfully and faithfully, and I hope we all do, our practice, our seeking, no matter how fervent, does not guarantee God's presence. God moves how God wants to move and speaks a word when God wants to do it. Yet the logic of the gospel that we find in God's word and even in Amos is that this famine, your famine, will not last forever. So whatever the state of your soul, make this summer a soul summer. And may we all remain thirsty like the psalmist who said, as a deer longs for your flowing stream, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God.
the living God. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen.